Hello, and welcome to Yes Indeed Pod, a podcast about indie tabletop role-playing games where I interview creators about their games and inspirations, and about the theory, process, and practice of game design. My name is Mark Shepard, a game design enthusiast, role-playing game editor, indie hustler slash promoter, and interview podcaster. You can find me on Twitter at IamFofos, and on itch.io at blue-golem-games.itch.io. This week, I interview indie role-playing games newcomer Georgie Batts, both an independent games designer and a writer and artist for the San Gennaro Corp. We talked about three games, Exquisite Polycule, which Ave published already, Far From The Tree, which she's still developing, and Legendary Customer Service, which he's still a way off unleashing on the world. We also had a brief chat about what lyric games may or may not be, and I think our opinions are the most interesting that I've heard to date. Now that's out of my head and into yours, let's talk indie. Today we're interviewing Georgie Bats. Hi Georgie. Hi. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do in indie tabletop role-playing games? So uh, I write games as well as uh, supplements and hacks. I've described my writing as role-playing games, story games, occasionally lyric games, writing exercises, and thought experiments for adults who like to play, play pretend. I mean, that's quite a uh, that's quite a resume. Well, they're all the same thing. They're all the same thing. Well, I like the sound of all of them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's some there's some good examples there. And um, do, you, do you want to tell us maybe a couple of the games that you've written in the past, and we can um, maybe talk about a couple of those? Sure. So my first ever game, which is also the first game that I've published, and one of the few that is out right now, is uh, Exquisite Polycule, which was on the Short Games Digest Volume 4. And I guess I didn't mention I'm a member of the San Gennaro Co-op as well. It's true. You didn't mention that. Um, (laughs) The majority (laughs) of my guests so far have been members. (laughs) The listener should now be used to that idea. But you also write games under your own publisher. Well, publisher is a strong word, but under your own own name. I have my own itch page, is what you're saying, basically. (laughs) It amounts to the same. I thought if I should come up with a name for my... Sayings like my studio sounds silly because I don't have a studio, but and you know what I'm talking about. A name besides my name. Yeah, a name which is your name. Yeah, it's good. I, I, I wish I had initially been confident enough to publish under my own name rather than coming up with a silly company name instead. But, uh, you know, kudos, basically. No, what I'm saying is I do publish under my own name, but I was trying to think of something else to distinguish from maybe some of my other work, but really this is what I'm doing the most right now, so... Yeah, you are quite prolific, really. I mean, you've written a lot of games in quite a short space of time, which is quite an output, really. So uh, do, you want, do you want to tell us about some of the other things that you've been you've been doing recently? Um, well, I, I didn't really get a chance to talk about Exquisite Polycule because I went on a tangent. <laughs> you didn't? No, that's true. Yeah, why don't you tell us about Exquisite Polycule? Because it's a cool game. Yeah, um, Exquisite Polycule is... It's interesting because it was the first game I wrote, and I've been thinking lately about, like, you know, where did my all my ideas come from? Because I, I do a lot of hacks and supplements and stuff that's inspired by other work. And yet, when I trace back to where I, like, my roots as what inspired me to start designing, Exquisite Polycule is not 
despite being my first game, is not very congruent with the things that I was, like, really wanting to do when I decided I wanted to start designing. Yeah. It was like, I kept getting these ideas for different, like, PBTA hacks, and then I sat down to write a game, and I just did it. (laughs) And it was like, I can kind of look back and see where some of the ideas came from, but they weren't things I were consciously thinking about at the time. But basically what it is is... It's a sort of a party game about... Well, it's hard to say a little bit what it's about because usually you don't consider, like, character creation to be part of the premise of a game unless it's a character creation game that the whole thing you do is create a character. But, like, character creation is an important part of the game in a specific whole polycule because what you do is, as a group, you create a number of randomized characters yeah. that are equal to the number of the players in the group, but you don't decide which character you're playing until after all the characters are created. Yeah, which is really neat because somebody might have made a character that you think is cooler than you. And actually, inevitably, when I when I play role-playing games, <laughs> that happens. I always think all the other characters are way cooler and have better ideas than I do. Although when I playtested it, everyone had gotten attached to the character that they happened to be holding at the end of trading the characters around. That is at least lucky. And then I was like, you know, does anyone want to trade before we start playing? And it was like, no, we all want to play the characters that we just finished making. So, I mean, like, part of the mechanic of that is to do with the Dadaist parlor game Exquisite Corpse, right? Where you're drawing something. Yeah, that's what inspired it for the method of character creation, I was trying to figure out how to recreate that sort of idea through game mechanics. Yeah. And it's interesting because I didn't realize until recently, the character creation part of the game is similar to the drawing version of Exquisite Corpse. But the story part of the game, which I didn't even intend, and I think a lot of role-playing games do kind of come back to this, It's very similar to the written or storytelling version of Exquisite Corpse. Because there are two two different games that have that name. Yeah, uh, the the version I'm familiar with is called Consequences, which is where you you basically write down two characters, where they meet, how they interact, and what the consequences are, which is is basically passing this round piece of paper, writing down small sentences on each. Yeah, I think that's probably the earliest interaction I had with a storytelling game. You know, so all went downhill from there. I think really, you know, I, I'm not sure I've uh, I'm not sure I've ever topped the experience <laughs> in terms of comedy. Yeah. It's interesting that you you bring up the storytelling version of Exquisite Corpse then in that in that basis. I once again failed to tell what the game is about. The game is a polyamorous romantic comedy. It's about the characters that you create and how they entangle themselves and fall in love. It's sort of like a, a much cuter version of Monster Hearts in a way, you know, a more wholesome version of Monster Hearts played through the Dadaist lens. Yeah, well, it's I, I actually think it's interesting that you bring up Monster Hearts. You and I have talked about Monster Hearts before as an influence on my work, but I never really saw Exquisite Polycule as being similar to Monster Hearts. For me, I feel like um, Monster Hearts emulates that kind of teen angst, not quite drama not quite comedy something in between uh it emulates that like perfectly yeah. but then has this monster aspect pinned onto yeah. it as kind of uh, a loose veil of queer narratives and queer stories and mm-hmm. 
it's supposed to be obvious, but I'm not sure everyone plays it obviously. And then what you're doing is yeah. you're looking more at the kind of sitcom version, but also attaching kind of um, polyamorous relationships and that aspect of, of queer culture to it. And that's uh, that's interesting to me, at least. <laughs> I think it's interesting. The way I see Exquisite Polycule is it does a very specific thing, but at the same time, it carries some things from the ideas of what we would consider a generic system. Mm-hmm. Because like... The sort of path of the story, like the beats that you're going to hit, are somewhat pre-planned by the game. You know, the fact that your characters are going to fall in love and the way that you make that happen, that's all packaged in the game. You can't say, I'm going to play exclusive polycule, but we're not going to do a romance. Yeah, because that's part of it. But you can say, I'm going to do exclusive polycule in space. Yeah. So we can play it in space. We can play it uh, in the dark future. We can play it anywhere we like, or we can play it in present world, day, modern world. The The main thing is that some people are monsters. No. Mark says a misconception I've tried to to correct with you before. Okay. <laughs> the, one of the, exa- the example characters I gave in the game were monsters, but they don't have to be. There's nothing in the rules that says you have to be a monster. Although, like, certainly... You know, do you want to play it with your characters as monsters? That's like a, a very valid choice. But what I'm trying to express is that the game works whether you play humans or monsters or, you know, no matter what setting you're in. When you create your character sheet, you don't fill out a sheet. You create the blanks to fill on the sheet and then you fill them out. Okay. The thing that threw me in the rules is that you mentioned, you know, it's hard to operate a camera when you have hooves, which, as I've said before, I do just appreciate enormously. Yeah, well, that was just an example of something you could write about your character, if your character has hooves. So you build up your characters, or you all build up your characters together, and choose which ones you want to play, or do you, do you choose that at scene level? I can't remember now. Once you have created your character, you have one chance to, like, because everyone created each character together, nobody really owns it. Yeah. But someone ends up with it uh, before you enter the story part of the game, at which point you keep your character. But it could be interesting to play it with trading off your characters. Um, I hadn't thought of that. It might make it more complicated, but it could be an interesting idea for to use in possibly a different game and yeah. it could certainly be an interesting thing to tr- try an exclusive polygon yeah it's very cool and it's built up you have a sort of framework of scenes that you're trying to go through right yeah and as you're doing that you're building up this web of relationships which is it's very very neat and concisely written and I really like the way that it plays out in practice. It's basically the, you know, basic, like, uh, story arc mountain that you learn in, like, English class. Like, oh, here's the exposition, the rising action. Yeah. It's like, that was what I was thinking about when I Mm -hmm. read that. And I've even used the term rising action and falling action in the game. Yeah. And, yeah, as you said, whilst you're going through the game, you're building up this web of relationships between the main characters and the side characters as well. And so what you get at the end of it is something that is connecting all of these characters and just looks very, what's the word? It's a very nice kind of um, physical representation of the play that you've had. Yeah. Which I always like. (laughs) I spoke to Kate Jean about Winter Harvest and about how in that game you build up your own book of lore as you play the game. And Oh, I remember that. It just sounds so lovely. <laughs> I just like these little games that one has where 
at the end of it you have a little representation of the time you spent together i just think that's really that's really nice it doesn't you don't get that with a lot of maybe mainstream games um you have your character sheet and that's kind of not that interesting so yeah some kind of reminder of what you've done in play i think is really nice and it's a nice way to round off a session to have a look at it and i think it's just it's helpful to keep track <laughs> during the game yeah, that because <laughs> it's things can get messy yeah so do you want to tell us about some of your other games? The other game that I just put out most recently, I published it on my itch, but it's an early access version. I'm going through playtesting currently and hopefully going to put together a more polished version by the end of it. Yeah. It's called Far From The Tree. Yeah. I've gone back between calling it a belonging outside belonging game and a B.O.B. esque game. Uh, so it belongs outside belonging, outside belonging. No. <laughs> so belonging outside belonging. Um, I don't think we've talked about it before on Yes Indeed. So do you want to tell us a little bit about what that game is and where it's come from? And then we can maybe tell us about how you hacked your game from that rather wonderful premise. So, Belonging Outside Belonging is a system created by Oliver Alder and Ben Rosenbaum for their book uh, Dream Apart and Dream Askew. These two games are packaged in a single book and they run on the exact same system. There's no real mechanical difference between the two of them. Yeah. It's just that they're very different uh, genre. Well, not different genres per se. Well, yeah, different genres. It's a different setting as well. Different aesthetics. Yeah. Different settings. Definitely a different aesthetic and kind of a different mood, if you like. I've not had the opportunity to play Dream Apart. I do believe Dream Askew came first. Yeah. Or at least it was the one that was published in another version online before the final book was published. Yeah, it was. That's one of the first games I ever played was Dream Askew, and one of the games that I've been most excited about. Yeah. But the premise of the Belonging Outside Belonging system is it's both a thematic and like genre definition as well as like a mechanical system definition. You start with the premise of a marginalized community or a community that is somehow outside of the dominant culture and then you create characters using different playbooks. Um, it's interesting because Dream Askew is itself based on another system though it's very heavily modified uh, Dream Askew is a Powered by the Apocalypse game. Yeah. Or it, it was at least originally intended as such. It has the hallmarks of that system, yeah, which are playbooks and moves. And, and it even took place in the Apocalypse, the original game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a lot of the setting and genre and character stuff taken from Apocalypse World as well. Yeah. I need to bring it back to Belonging Outside Belonging. Well, Belonging Outside Belonging, then, is effectively a system where you have no dice and most of the play is about transferring tokens between players and it's it, it works out very neatly um it tells very interesting stories and it's very focused as you said on telling the stories of marginalized groups people who are outside mainstream culture for whatever reason so dream askew is community queer communities in the in the unfolding apocalypse and dream apart is about the jewish shtetl or a jewish community within or outside of a wider genteel community which is a very interesting set of stories i've heard an actual play of dream apart and it, it just played wonderfully it was like listening to a very 
wonderful audio drama. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. Uh, and because there aren't any dice, it works really well in that respect. Um, it, it really lets people bring out narratives and stories that are very compelling to listen to. So, yeah, absolutely go out and check those two games out. And there have been a lot of hacks since, including your hack, Georgie, uh, which is your cue to go into it. <laughs> yeah. So the reason I say it might be considered belonging outside belonging-esque is because it's not particularly about a marginalized community or even a community at all. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's only about the relationship between two characters. Yeah. Who are not necessarily, although they could belong to marginalized populations, but they are outside of the mainstream society for other reasons, and not necessarily because they are marginalized. This is a story about a mad scientist, or a mad artist, or a mad philosopher, and their creation. Specifically, it is about what happens when that relationship is viewed through the lens of father and son. Okay, that's cool. What does that look like in practice? I'm so excited to talk about this because we just ha- I just had a really good playtest of this game that showed a side of the game that I didn't even expect. Cool. Because my main influence for the storyline I sort of wanted to facilitate through this game was Mary Shelley's book Frankenstein. Or rather, my vague recollections of reading it in high school. <laughs> sure, you're ahead of me there. Um, and what I ended up writing, or what I thought I was writing, was about this very, like, angsty, adversarial relationship where it's like, Frankenstein and Frankenstein's monsters are not characters that get along. No. However, when I started playtesting it, the characters they came up with, I would not say it was completely healthy parent-child relationship, but it was a completely different thing than what I expected. Yeah. In the way that makes me want to bring that out more in the game by adding some more things that encourage the loving aspect of the relationship. Yeah. Some kind of incentive reward cycle that that brings that out yeah um i don't necessarily want to discourage a more adversarial or fraught story but i didn't realize that that was not the only thing that the game could be and so i'm very excited to see you know this seed of something else that it could also be yeah absolutely and it sounds really cool i don't know if you've heard of paul chege's my life with master i've heard of it it has this kind of relationship baked into it. So it has this evil overlord who has uh, has a group of servants. But, I mean, you can play it two-player, I think. And it's that same sort of power dynamic where there is a, a master and an apprentice. And you have to understand this power dynamic and whether it's going to turn nasty or whether it's going to be kind of... I don't know. It's it's an interesting thing. I mean, it's it's kind of... It's a game about... Uh, it's effectively a game about abusive relationships, but kind of wrapped up in this dark fantasy setting. It's, it's very interesting. Almost certainly one of the one of the better games that that came out of the late Forge Theory stuff. So it, it's a cool game, <laughs> but it kind of sounds like some of the power dynamic stuff that might come out of the narratives that you're trying to tell here, and like whether or not you want to lean into that, or whether you want to lean into a different kind of relationship. I don't know. And maybe more playtesting will tell you that. Yeah, well, it's interesting because the 
power dynamic presented in Frankenstein is not what we would typically consider the power dynamic between a parent and child. And by child, I don't necessarily mean a a child, but... Our word for a person who's little and a per well, a person who's young and a person who is your direct offspring are the same word. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> English has failed that. But, but like, yeah. offspring sounds so shitty. Progeny. That kind of uh, level of word, but yeah. The parental relationship, there we go. The parental yeah. relationship is a relationship I wanted to explore, and I thought it was something that is not necessarily explored in works inspired by Frankenstein, or at least as well as uh, not necessarily something that really comes through in the book, but, you know, technically that's what it is. Yeah. So I'm I'm kind of having the balancing act of how much do I want this to be like the relationship shown in the book, and how much do I want this to map to a parental relationship. Yeah. I think the monster in the book has a lot more power in the relationship than, like, the child does in a typical parental relationship. So that kind of makes the comparison a little fraught. Yeah. But, like, I I think I I see where you're coming from, and I think it's an interesting angle to take on, a, on that particular book and on that kind of gothic horror genre in general, is that there are stories about power dynamics there which are kind of begging to be explored, and, like, that's a really good way of looking at it. Um, so I'm really interested to see where this game goes from here. Yeah, something uh, something I'm really excited about are some of the changes I've made to the basic belonging outside belonging formula. A big one is that not every player necessarily plays a character. Okay. It's a two-character game, but you can have two to four players. Yeah. And what happens when there are more than two players is two of the players are referred to as cast, which means one of them is playing the father and one of them is playing the son. The other players are crew, which means they are in control in the setting elements and the minor characters, yeah. but uh, rather they have more responsibility over those aspects because as in a typical belonging outside belonging game, everyone uh, gets a turn taking control of the setting elements uh even if you have a character yeah so rather than it being two people are playing characters and two people are playing setting elements it's two people are playing characters and occasionally picking up a setting element when they would like to the other two players have increased responsibility over the setting elements because they're not dividing their attention between character and setting element yeah although they may like i said play a minor character as well I mean, that, that simplifies things then, yeah. I mean, it's sounds pretty cool. What, I, what I've always liked about belonging outside belonging games is that these setting elements have a kind of Greek chorus level to them, which is to say that they are reflecting the events that are happening, but also feeding back on the events that are happening. Um, and that's it's, it's a very interesting way to drive narratives. Um, character-driven narratives in Diceless games sometimes fall a little bit flat because you haven't got the external driver but especially in gmless games which belonging outside belonging typically does you lack that external narrative drive which can push the story forward in interesting ways instead you have people who interject and say well this is what happens when the world around you fails in this certain way or when the weather changes or all sorts of things or when the supernatural world intervenes in some way 
It's interesting that in this you are kind of inherently saying to two of the players, perhaps, oh, you have a lot more power over this over this particular set of things which can influence the story, um, but you don't directly have the kind of agency that a character would typically have. I think that's a really interesting way to look at um, player character dynamics as well. Yeah. When I first started the Vegas ideas of this game, I was almost thinking of the... So what became the crew players as sort of optional GMs. Right. Because at one point I didn't even say that the cast players who have characters get to engage with the setting elements uh, unless it's a two-player game. But then I've decided, no, I do think it's interesting. I do think it's fun if everyone gets to take a turn at the setting elements. Yeah. But some players have a more uh, direct focus on the setting elements. Yeah. Well, I'm very interested to pick this up and see it when it comes out. So Yeah. Well, you can see it you can see it now on georgiebats.itch.io. Yeah. You can see the, what is the current version. I do have it up for $5. However, uh when you, if you buy it now, you get the final game which is going to be pricier. Okay. And uh, if you message me on my Twitter at OddDaysGeorge, uh, I can get you a community copy. I just haven't set up community copies yet on the Itch page. Oh, there you go, then. Everyone should go out and uh, check that out, because it sounds really cool. So, in your introduction, you said that you were you were interested in writing lyric games. Uh, now, I know you're coming towards this art form. Not an outsider opinion, because I don't think there is an inside opinion on this. But um, do you want to give us what you think you're understanding of what lyric games are about um i do ask people this because i have no idea (laughs) (laughs) so um i'm coming at this as someone who wrote poetry for a while before i started writing games yeah and when i first came to understand not when i first heard the term lyric game but when i first thought i had any idea of what one was i thought of it as a game that is also a poem or a poem that is also a game. I've also referred to some things that I've written but not published as ludic poems. Mm-hmm. So sort of the opposite of a lyric game, but with a very fine line of the difference. Or perhaps a compliment, yeah. I would say a lyric game is... Well, perhaps it's about the balance between the two. A lyric game is a game with poetic aspects yeah. A ludic poem is a poem with game-like aspects, mm-hmm. um, and yeah. those can be the same thing. And you, if you're writing a ludic poem, which is a term I literally just – well, not a term I just came up with because I said I've already used it, but a term that I invented but don't necessarily think is a necessary distinction, I, I would say it might as well be called a lyric game as well because yeah, they're essentially very, very similar things and – Lyric game is the term that actually exists, so... (laughs) Sure, but, like, it's interesting to think of it in terms of two parts of a balancing act. Um, Like like you said, one of them is more game and one of them is more poem. I mean, I'd be interested to see the art form, which was a perfect balance of the two, but, like, I don't know what one would call that. At any rate, um, I, I kind of feel like lyric games are a thing currently, and they're they're an important part of the scene. And um, what it does very specifically is it kind of highlights very acutely what it means that when I say games are art, 
because it's very much a form of you are choosing words carefully. You are trying to be precise and concise and um, you're trying to do things very accurately but also paint a really broad narrative picture yeah it's very interesting but no that's not what i wanted to say it kind of says to the world hey look role-playing games aren't just this kind of nerdy technical manual thing uh they can be very beautifully written and they can tell or they can force you to think about telling interesting stories and doing different things with this art form, um, effectively, this is artistry. So uh, that's how I kind of feel about lyric games. And I, I don't know, maybe you share some of that opinion. Um, yeah, my computer screen just did a really weird thing. So I'm... Okay. When I have written lyric games, I'm really coming back to the mind space that I was in when I was mostly writing poems. Yeah. Uh, with the knowledge that I've learned as I've started to write games. Yeah. Because for me, poetry was always a thing that I did a long time ago, um, a long time before I started writing games. But I kind of see there's there's a huge parallel between writing games and writing poetry because one of them is painting. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's a horrendous cliche, but painting <laughs> a, a picture with words, and the other is painting a, a narrative framework with rules and, and there are really quite strong similarities between those two yeah and they both have to be they both have to be precisely written and use language carefully i don't think that every poet could be a game designer and i don't think that every game designer could be a poet but when you meet these people who are both like yourself that's really cool <laughs> yeah and something about that i think is common to lyric games and poetry at least my lyric games and poetry is, uh, but I think it's true of at least some other writers. I always, with with rare exceptions that were deliberate exercises out of my comfort zone, all of my poetry is autobiographical, uh, sometimes allegorical, but it's always based on my life. Yeah. So, and that isn't to say that my games are not inspired by my life. I certainly wouldn't have written Exquisite Polycule if I was not polyamorous. I'm also writing Far From the Tree, which is not really rooted in my life very much. Although I can't say it's not colored by my perspective, because obviously it is. Yeah. What I'm getting at, where I'm going with this is, my poetry was always much more explicitly autobiographical. Yeah. And one way that I have written lyric games is by sitting down, getting back in that poetry mindset of, you know, what is something in my life that I can recreate with language. Yeah, kind of like a way to abstract oneself from personal experience in order to tell a narrative that you think might relate back to that experience. Yeah. Like, um, I know that some people would like to tell very interesting stories, but they don't want to put their whole selves out there by writing a very personal autobiographical poem and instead they'd rather abstract that a little into something that allows people to explore that part themselves as well don't think i'm being too coy there <laughs> yeah no i think uh, one thing that you can really do as a, a lyric game designer is to give the player a glimpse into what it is like to be you in some moment right yeah 
I have written, um, not published because one, that it's very personal, and two, that I would like to make it more game-like before presenting it to a wider audience. Not because I think it's one of the so-called ludic poems that I described before. Not that because I think being a ludic poem is bad, just because, I don't know, I would like to fit more of my own idea of what a lyric game should be. Sure. But the first lyric game that I wrote, or ludic poem that I wrote, was about my frustrations with my current day job. And I was talking to another designer, Adira. Adira writes a lot of lyric games, Adira writes a lot of lyric games and is very good at explaining lyric games to others, I think. Yeah. What she things she has said about lyric games are things that I have found easy to understand. Yeah. So I went to her for advice on uh, how to revise my lyric game. And she asked me what I was trying to make the player feel. And I said, I want the player to essentially see the world through my eyes for the amount of time it takes to play the game. Yeah. Or rather to read the game, because I wasn't really writing something playable. I wasn't intending to write something playable. It certainly could be playable. You could follow all the instructions in the game. But I I wasn't writing it with the intent that someone would follow the instructions in the game, rather that someone would read it and imagine playing the game in their head and experience uh, my life through that lens. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. I I remember reading it and thinking, yeah, this is definitely further towards poem on the spectrum of poem and game. <laughs> but it, it was a very interesting read. Um, it definitely inspired me to go away and maybe think about what I could write as a lyric game. Um, like, I've never been particularly satisfied with what I came up with as a response to that. But it's um, it's just like, it's a very interesting part of the indie scene at the moment is to look at all these people who are, half-writing poems and half-writing games and maybe doing both. Um, yeah. Yeah, I just really like it. I really like that whole scene. Uh, it's a lot about what Ichio is about at the moment. I would say uh, to listeners, this is another thing that I haven't uh, released, but if you want to know what we've been talking about for the last uh, few minutes or get a better picture on it, I I will say if you ask me on Twitter, if you do me on Twitter to share with you the game. Yeah. I would uh, be open to, you know, sharing it with any yeah. cast. I'm just not ready to put it out. Oh, that's fair. I mean, it's very cool. I think it's it's worthy of being published. Yeah. Well, thank you. If you have work to do on it, that's cool. But um, yeah, it is it is really good in beta. Yeah, I'm I'm definitely gonna try to find time to to get back to work on that because I think it's actually it conveys several different ideas. Uh, that it doesn't really explore fully. And so I would like to maybe refine it. Yeah. As well as uh, find some ways to make it more game-like, as I said before. Well, yeah, absolutely. As a piece of writing, I'm fairly proud of it. Uh, Just think it has more ways to go. Sure. But uh, definitely everybody out there should keep an eye out for this currently untitled game. Oh, it has a title. The title is Legendary Customer Service. But that could change. Yeah, well, no, I think that's a good title. <laughs> it gets a lot about what you're, a lot of the frustrations that you're trying to get across just in the title. That's true, but when yeah. I say that could change, I mean that's because the nature of the game might change as I keep working on it. Fair. So, yeah, okay. So I don't know if that title will still be accurate or not. Cool. 
Well, keep an eye out for something to do with customer service, possibly, <laughs> and also keep an eye out for Far From the Tree because these both sound like very cool games that I want to see. Thank you. Georgie, do you want to tell us where we can find you on the internet? Yeah, so I have mentioned before uh, that uh, my Twitter is at OddDaysGeorge and my uh, itch.io is GeorgieBats, all one word. Perfect. There you go. Um, and everyone, check Georgie out because they're a good person and um, they have very interesting games that are coming out soon, hopefully. Yeah, thank you. And all that's left for me to say is thank you very much for coming on Yes Indeed and hope to speak to you again in the future. Awesome. Thank you. Hope to speak to you again soon, but uh, I have a feeling we might. <laughs> sure. Well, we are always chatting, so. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I mean. All right. Goodbye. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thanks again to Georgie for the interview. As always, you can find all of the links in the episode description. Next time, I'll be interviewing Adira Slattery and Fen Slattery, two incredible and prolific game designers and podcasters. Adira is a trans-Jewish game designer, zinester and poet in Chicagoland, and a frequent guest on the OneShot Podcast Network. Fen, also of Chicagoland, is a non-binary autistic human who moonlights writing queer-as-heck RPGs and zines. Tune in to hear more about some very different kinds of games in the indie space. Two plugs this week. The latest Sanjinara Corp Short Games Digest Volume 5 is out now. You can pick up eight very neat games for only $10, including Culinary Kobolds, a game about kobold chefs in a cooking competition, and my latest offering, Highway 61, a game about death, mourning, and buses. It's well worth a look just for the cover art. If you're not all bundled out from the Itch.io Mega Bundle, then you can find the latest Colludium Bundle on Itch.io right now, which focuses on queer and trans voices in indie gaming. You can get up to 12 incredible games from amazing indie voices in three tiers, starting from just $10. And it's already surpassed every hope that I had for it. So check it out as soon as possible. If you enjoy Yes Indeed Pod, please rate and review the show wherever you find your podcasts. Or consider donating through the Ko-Fi page at ko-fi.com slash yesindeedpod. Of course, you can always reach out to me through Twitter at IamPhophos. That's I-A-M-P-H-O-P-H-O-S. I'd love dearly to hear from you. Lastly, music credits. All music is from BitQuest by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and Filmmusic.io. Thanks, Kevin. Until next time, remember, does Indy need you? Yes, indeed. Indie.